Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to the Women's Cycling Weekly Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. <laughs> I've, I've taken control. <laughs> A rich man's world. Hello and welcome to the Women's Cycling Weekly Podcast. I'm Amy and this is Tilda, as usual. How are you, Amy? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm a bit sleep deprived, but that doesn't matter. Um, Abby, speaking of sleep deprived, <laughs> we've got a special guest today. Abby Mickey. Hello. How are you? This Don't adjust your sets. This is not freewheeling. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, you guys, so much for for having me on. It's really, really exciting. It feels all kinds of wrong to be leading a podcast with you in the frame because usually, like, you take over and work your magic, and I just kind of sit there like. I was quite excited for a role reversal, to be honest. But you're way better at this than me. Mm, I don't think that's true. Anyway, we're here today to talk about Tour Down Under because the season started. The Women's World Tour season is underway. Um, but it kind of like, it's a bit of a weird one because it happened in Australia. So for us, it was like the middle of the night and we've got some thoughts. Tilda in particular has got some thoughts, haven't you? I have. Um, and the, I, I must say they have developed slightly now that I have watched some of the race. <laughs> But still, I've got thoughts, as per usual. So that forming opinions before she's even watched the race. <laughs> Love that from you. Um, but before we get into that, just a quick um, run through of the week's news. Um, what's been going on this week? Um, firstly, um, yeah, first up, we've got two more development teams that have been announced. Um UAE basically um, have a development team that's essentially just what Valcar was before, um, which was kind of obvious from the way that they transferred a lot of the riders and staff across. Um, and also um, Phoenix de Koenig have a development team as well, um, which consists of mainly kind of the, some of the off-road riders from the team and some of the riders that were on the the continental team before now that they've moved up to world tour they've got a development team so that's always a good thing um um next up unfortunately pauline Ferran provo has had to end her cyclocross season early um due to well kind of an injury but also like an infection that she got after a crash in a race um so she won't be doing any more cross this season it's been a bit of a fraught cross season for her it's kind of a there was a big song and dance made of her debut for Ineos and it's kind of not really gone her way she's had some mechanicals she's had a few she had a few good races but yeah pretty pretty disappointing end to her cross season but I'm sure we'll see her come back and win like literally everything on the mountain bike this year or something um and sad news Christine Myrus is going to retire after the 2024 Olympics, what are we going to do without her in the peloton? It's going to be chaos. You know how, like, in the men's peloton, they're like, there's no, uh, there, there's no, like, senior figure who's, like, roping in the younger 
the the whippersnappers who are racing bikes like differently. I feel like with the loss of Chrissy Myers, there might be some whippersnappers that try to shake things up in the women's peloton. Oh, that actually sounds cool. Yeah, we we kind of want that. We like a bit of drama, yeah. chaos. Yeah. It's entertaining for us. Maybe not everybody else. I mean, she's like the best domestique out there. So it's Ooh, Ellen be... Van Dyke would like a word. I don't I don't really count her as a domestique though. She's like she's really good at domestiquing, but she's also the world champ. True, yeah. She's actually like an amazing like I mean, so is Christine, but yeah. I know when I think Ellen Van Dyke, I just think of her sitting on the front of the Peloton like pulling a break back. What's gonna be weirder is seeing someone else in the Luxembourg national champ jersey. Because how many years in a row she had it? Like 14? But this, yeah. the, the, I reckon this is why they've signed Maria Schreiber. So they still get to keep it in the team. <laughs> keep it in the team. I mean, that's not a bad idea, you know. They're obsessed with national jerseys at SC Works. It's true. <laughs> and we've also, we've had two pregnancy announcements this week. Um, from the Pel- Well, not the Peloton, because one of them is not a road rider. But um, Jocelyn Loudon of Uno X has announced that she's expecting her first child and Laura Kenny who's been through a really tough time um with pregnancies over the last few years that she's been she's been vocal about that as well um she's she's announced that she's pregnant as well so congrats to them and finally um it's national championships time in cyclocross or at least it was um Headlines include that Puck Peters won the Dutch Nationals, which are we surprised? I mean, kind of not, because like she came up against like what well, it's a strong field, isn't it? The Dutch mm. in cross. Um, definitely not a surprise. Sylvia Persico, Persico, we're gonna do that again all year. Won the Italian nationals and Sanacan as is only right won the Belgian title Zoe Baxter won the British national title which I turned that race on I on Sunday I was like oh yeah cross is on and then it was like the two options were like the French nationals and the British nationals I turned on the British nationals and it was like I think it was like lap one and Zoe was like miles in front of everyone and I was like okay that's done <laughs> She won by like nearly three minutes in the end or something. Yeah. Say. Um, and Blankovas is the Hungarian champion, so no surprises really with those. Uh and that's your lot. That's it. So should we talk TDU? Woo. Right. Who's gonna start this? Because Look, I'm told you were very vocal and strongly opinionated about these things. So you're going to kick this off because get it out, Gil. Well, okay. I just feel like it was a little bit of a a damp opener to the world tour. But I think we kind of knew that, though, didn't we? When we talked about the um, the start list and you didn't have that many big, big teams and big riders like we could have predicted before the race started that it would probably come down to being between Grace Brown and Amanda Spratt. And the days were kind of like, they were exciting in that a lot happened and they weren't straightforward because we had crosswinds and attacks and late, late moves and people having to chase things down at the last minute. Like for sure, that was exciting. But like the GC was never really much of a story. That was always just going to be decided 
on essentially the last day, maybe maybe with the influence of a few bonus seconds. And I just thought it was a bit like, I appreciate there's not that much you can do with three days, but it did not inspire me. Yeah, and I think the fact that we only had, was it six Women's World Tour teams out of the 15 turn up, that also kind of played a part because we still haven't seen like the full Women's World Tour peloton in action. Um, So yeah, I mean, shall we go through this? If you've come, if you listen to this and you also listen to Freewheeling, then you'll know that Tilda is known for doing excellent recaps of races. So... Shall we take it stage by stage? In fact, actually, before we do that, should we just quick shout out to the crit and to Ali Wollaston who won that? Um, I'm actually really gutted that they didn't broadcast that. Watching a crit, I think, is is quite good. I know, Abby, you're a fan of a crit. But also, how hard is it to broadcast a crit? Like, it's literally laps for like an hour, so you know exactly how long it's going to be. And it's only like one hour of broadcasting, and, and it's just a circle basically so <laughs> that was I was confused about like one why the crit wasn't actually part of the race like it was like the day before and it wasn't actually attached to the race at all because like when I did tour down under the last stage was was a crit and so it was just like part of the race and I don't know if there's like a rule in the in the world tour that like you that it couldn't be part of the race because I don't know, it doesn't fit into some world tour criteria having to do with the race being world tour now, so they couldn't have a crit as part of it, which I wouldn't be surprised if like it has something to do with the the minimum stage distance or something like that. So I think there's a rule, I think there's a rule that like came into play there. But also just like treat it like it I mean, I don't know, if if they're going to go through the trouble of putting it on, I don't understand why there wasn't live coverage of it. No, and then not only that, not to, I'm always like loads like properly slag off an organizer, but like the Twitter feed and stuff like that, like there was no updates either. Like there wasn't really any like there was like very sporadic videos and tweets and things like that. Like even trying to follow it was like really really hard, and it would have been ideal as well because it fell at a time of day where because it was the evening there so like here in Europe it was like a reasonable hour and you could actually what like you could have watched it so they would have had like quite a few people watching but um I saw there's like a photo of like the finish line and somebody replied to it on Twitter like was this taken on a Nokia 3310 <laughs> and I was like oh no anyway uh... I digress um Shall we go through the stages? Tilda, what happened on stage one? Okay, so <laughs> I feel pressure now, but especially after, usually I do this because I've watched the whole the whole race and record it for Velo News or something like that, but now I'm just doing it for, for fun. So yeah, stage one, it was 110 kilometres, the longest of the weekend, which is good to know. And it was kind of gently lumpy, I would say, but quite a flat finish and it was expected to be a sort of sprinty day. Um, there was a headwind in the first 20k, which kind of kept things together mainly, despite some good efforts from riders. But they just weren't really getting away with with the with the wind blowing. Um, but then, as they kind of turned away from the coast inland, there were some crosswinds and some echelons, which forced some splits. A big group of about 16 riders, I want to say, 
went clear but there wasn't really any like direction in terms of what teams were in it and who wanted what so that also came back together and the wind really kept everything together for quite a while after um, in the middle part of the stage we had Gladys Verholst of her new team FDJ going for the Queen of the Mountains points whilst her teammate Grace Brown uh, targeted the intermediates intermediate points for bonus seconds um kind of knowing that because there wasn't much gc action that it could come down to bonus seconds so good good racing from grace um in the last 40 kilometers there was a small breakaway of isabel carnes and gina ricardo both of um australian conti teams they went away um some riders some riders tried to bridge to them but they didn't quite make it um and that didn't really last very long they were reeled in with about 10k to go um, another section of crosswinds saw a group of 12 riders emerge at the front, forced on by Trek Segafredo. Um, but again, that came back together because teams were chasing behind and there wasn't a clear and obvious choice with who wanted to go for the win in the front group. So in the last 4K, everything came back together for a sprint. The teams were getting organised. Trek, Jaco and FDJ kind of naturally looked the most organized as you might expect from the biggest world tour teams but actually it was lily williams and kaya schmidt of human powered health that kind of had the cleanest go at the breakaway they didn't hit the front too early they stayed calm and they followed the wheel of maggie cole's lister who kind of led the sprint out for zaf jaco were maybe a bit like too bold they went really early took up the effort from very far out but it kind of disintegrated towards the end. Um, so then, yeah, in the kind of final few hundred metres, you had Ruby Roseman Gannon leading out Georgia Baker, Los Adegist leading out Clara Capone for FTJ, Amanda Spratt trying to give it a little go, but in fact, it was Daria Pikulik who managed to take the win for Human Powered Health after a good lead out from her team. First World Tour team for that team since they've joined the World Tour. Um, and a big win for the Polish rider. Who you, everyone was like, wow, big surprise. Like, we don't know who this, where she come from until it was like, I know who she is. Yeah, I, I, Abby then made the point where it's like, it's not surprising that she won. It's more surprising that like the other people didn't win. But yeah, I think for some people that was a real um, unknown name. But actually, yeah, she, I think she did fifth at the European champs before Christmas. Well, not before Christmas, it was in September. Um, which Lorena Weavers won, and and she was doing really well at the um, Balois Ladies Tour as well. So you know, it's it's obviously not world tour level, but yeah, if you kind of have your fingers in the results pies <laughs> and have a look at those, then she's she's had top tens, top threes in sprints. So it's um it's not like she's like totally no one, but yeah, it was. You wouldn't expect her to beat someone like Capone or or the Jayco. I mean, any of those three could have beat her on a normal day. I, I would argue that I was still really surprised to see her win. Just, I I mean, like I said, the, the surprising thing for me wasn't that she won because obviously like as a track rider, she has the experience navigating a sprint and she has a sprint on her. But I was more surprised that Jayco didn't win because they just like... I mean, it wasn't even that they messed up the sprint because they had a decent lead out and they they timed it okay. But I felt like I was confused about who they were sprinting for because in the end, Georgia Baker was like seated sprinting. Like she didn't even stand up. And so 
it seemed like given the way that we saw Ruby Roseman Gannon and uh, Alexandra Manley riding on the next two stages that I was confused about why they would have like right out the bat not gone like yes it's a it's we can talk about the disappointing um lineup for the race and how if there had been more world tour teams like it wouldn't have gone the way that it did but it's still a world tour race so to be kind of like okay well we're not going to sprint for our our two riders who are like basically guaranteed a stage win if we sprint for them we're gonna hand hand the 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 roll over to georgia baker who's an incredible rider but had they been sprinting for alexandra manley or ruby roseman gannon i think they would have won the stage like i think they had a they had a guaranteed win and they basically just handed it over and so i was more surprised at that I was more surprised Jayco didn't win. And especially given that it's kind of like their home race and it's a big deal. And for sponsors, it's a huge deal for them to win in Australia that they would have taken that gamble. Um, but also like, yeah, I, for, for human powered health, it's really interesting. Cause like last year they had one podium in a world tour race. They had Nina Boisman podium at, uh, Vuelta Burgos on stage two. But that's literally the only the closest they've ever gotten to to a win in a world tour race. Everything other than that is all just like their next closest one is like twelfth or seventeenth or something. Like they're one of the teams that we gave them a really hard time last year about why they were world tour, and and I still feel the same way. Like why are you world tour? And I just think that. While they've clearly picked up a, a little bit more talent, and I'm, I still don't think that this win qualifies them to be at that level. And I, I'm impressed with with um, Daria's sprinting and the and that she was able to win with basically no teammates. But it's I felt like it was a lucky. It was luck. It was, it was, she got lucky that things didn't work out for other people, basically, which is part of bike racing. That's 100% part of the sport. But for a world tour race, you expect more from, from a, from a race if it's world tour. You know what I mean? I think that's symptomatic of this race in general, though, is that like when you go, when you're talking about like Jayco maybe trying out like a new, sprinting for somebody different and that sort of thing and like maybe they shouldn't gamble because it's still a world tour level race but like even even looking on on the men's side like it people don't really they treat it almost as like a warm-up because it is so early in the season and because maybe the level isn't quite so high um which I think like some races just are that and I'm maybe that's okay but like um, I think on the men's side, it's more okay because there's more racing. On the women's side, it's like, I guess it feels like there's a lot of world tour racing because it's like tripled in the last like two years. But it's still like on the men's side, if it's a world tour race, all the world tour teams are required to go. So there will, because of that, there is going to be a more competitive field regardless of how people take on the race. Whereas, like, on the women's side, they simply can't require all the World Tour teams to be there because of the budgets. And that means that some races are World Tour 
without having world tour talent there and it like doesn't make any sense really and and like we'll get to it but i feel like that was one of the reasons like spratty didn't have a shot at the gc was because the race simply wasn't hard enough and so it, it it's it's interesting because you want there to be a world tour race in australia like you want the world tour to expand out of europe but then you also need to figure out how to get the world tour the top world tour teams to go to said race because if we'd had Canyon SRAM here like not even the top world tour team like ST Works whatever but like if we'd had Canyon SRAM I feel like it would have been a completely different race we would be talking about a completely different race you know what i mean yeah and i, I do think also it kind of helped cement the idea of like we do need more of a tiered system because I wouldn't argue that human powered health should be on the same level as like bridge lane because they're not, but they also weren't on the same level as, um, as like Jayco and Trek. So this feels like there should needs to be this like middle ground for these like top topper end UCI teams. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just, I think I wrote about this yesterday in our, um, the newsletter that went out yesterday that, the only good thing was that teams like human powered health and ZAF and Israel, they did take advantage of the fact there weren't as many world tour teams and really tried to have a go. But then it's like, if you're capable of that, why are you letting yourself be like held back in other races and just like ceding to the obvious big teams? Like if you can have a go, you shouldn't be like threatened by the big teams. Like, yeah, it it shouldn't take the absence of a team like Canyon Surama SC works for a team like human powered health to, really get involved they should be doing that anyway I think yeah like if they're yeah for sure if we had like a second tier that's where those teams should really be sitting and I guess the other thing with that is the level at this race and like the lack of teams is that it's really hard to like gauge like that's a really great win from Picklick but like we'll have to just wait and see whether she can actually like you know mix it with the real the not the real sprinters that sounds terrible but like the the in Europe with you know like Lorena Weavers for example wait I want to rewind a second because one thing like that it really interest me interested me about stage one was uh Trek Segafredo's attempt to like break the race apart with 10k to go it was like a little bit there was still quite a bit of road to go at that point but I was so surprised to see that come back together because when you were looking at the group it was Basically, Trek Segafredo and Jayco Lula had their whole teams in that split, almost their whole teams in that split. And it was only FDJ that like kind of missed that move and had to pull it back. And I found that really interesting, given the way the race shaked out, shook, shook, shaked out, shook out, shook out in the end, because like that was a moment that could have really messed with the overall and. I think it was also the first moment that we saw that uh, FDJ has put together a team worth fighting for huge races in the future. If like they, they maybe we were maybe surprised a little bit at some of their results last year, but I feel like they took that momentum and they built, built upon it and going into the rest of the season, it's like the, that they reacted so quickly to a split like that on stage one of Tour Down Under was 
indicative to me of like a lot of good things to come on that as well actually I remember seeing this and I remember thinking oh here we go because like I don't know why and I don't like try and say that I know anything about tactics really but we I feel like we do see it a lot where a team or like someone will just like give it beans on the front for ages and then just cause like force a split but then just like sit up and that happened again I mean I think if that had happened two years ago that would have been the race over Mm, yeah I guess it was two that it was like the fact that like FDJ were like pulling it like they were their efforts of FDJ but then I do remember watching and just being like okay you've all just gone to this like effort to for like keep the pace high and like we're coming into like the final stages of this race and we all just like gave it the big guns and then sat up I don't know Mm -hmm. they did they did throw in the towel they threw in the towel quite quickly that's for sure I actually have a comment to make (laughs) trek and sprinting what was that about they didn't bring anyone but they did because they brought Ilaria Sanguinetti but then they didn't ever go for her and it was like two of these days were sprints and also everyone was riding the um crit which was a sprint and their best sprinter was Amanda Sprout which was a bit random but like I think that almost made the like that was what made it good though because they had to be aggressive in other ways because they they didn't have like a pure out and out sprinter which is kind of like on paper a pretty wild approach to take for a race which was two-thirds probably quite sprinty days but actually in hindsight that is why they were racing so aggressively and actually made the race interesting because I'm sure on days like that like Jaco and all the other teams would have actually been quite happy to like not try and make things split up at 12k to go and just stay organized for a sprint but Trek were like without a sprint now so YOLO. I love the YOLO lifestyle. This is a YOLO race as well though isn't it? This is what we're saying. This is the race yeah. to be like y- like YOLO in. Um, yeah. Shall we move on to stage two? Yes. So give us your rundown. Stage two. We're we're down to 90k now, so don't get excited. It was another short one. Um it was pretty bumpy, kind of back to back, short, sharpish climbs. Um not a lot happened for the first like 30k of the stage. Like there were attacks, but nothing was really sticking, which when you think the first 30k, that isn't actually that far, but then 30k out of a 90k stage is like quite a lot. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit of a more quiet start to the stage. Um, there were a few attacks on the on the Queen of the Mountains points, but again, they didn't really get going. Um, the first move went in the last forty k again, like it did on stage one, um, by Deborah Silvestri of Zaf. Um, she went away on her own, and then she was joined by ten riders, which which included riders like Georgie Howe and Taylor Wiles and Lauren Stevens. Um, they had they had thirty five k. Sorry, they had 35 seconds of an advantage with 25k to go. Um, at which point Trek started chasing. They did have Taylor in the group, but it seems they weren't really sold on her chances in the final, from what I gather. Um, you had overnight leader Pickelick kind of struggling out the back. And then, yeah, kind of due to Trek's efforts, the group was reeled back in we had Claire Seals of Roland who was in the group she she went solo whilst the rest of them were caught um but when Loretta Hansen and Brody Chapman hit the front and 
put it put the hammer down she was uh brought back too um then we kind of hit mount lofty i think i'm getting this all in the right order so hit mount lofty and trek were, were clearly really setting up amanda spratt to go um that's why loretta hansen and Brody were working so hard and spratty attacked about 1k from the top pretty much left everyone behind um again fdj and los adigist were kind of controlling the chase helping grace brown to stay in contention um and alex manley was also getting involved amanda spratt had had 10 seconds going into the final 2k um but was very sadly caught um mainly thanks i would say to the fdj efforts and a bit of um jaco um and so then you had ruby roseman gannon uh leading out alex manley um kind of she well she was putting in efforts on the front to kind of i think force fdj to try and take uh put some to also put some effort in but i think fdj had slightly different objectives to jaco here um because they weren't trying to win with grace brown necessarily and so then um alex manley was kind of able to surf through the final taking the right lines she kind of is this the i was just what i'm thinking where she kind of took the corner in just the right way to hit the front and and take the win which is her first world tour win i believe um, and then also, yeah, we had Georgia Williams in second after a really nice lead out from Abby Smith, um, her first big result for her new team, EF. Um, so, yeah, Jaco kind of got it more right today. I, I think I really agree with Abby what you were saying about stage one in that they like they were trying to give everyone a go and giving Georgia Baker a chance. But actually, Alex Manley and Ruby Rose McGannon are probably better more reliable sprinters and they went for manly today and she took it as you kind of might have predicted just to give a little correction corner um alex manly won stage four of scandinavia last yeah, year true so i remember it well now well yeah good rider hey <laughs> <laughs> very good but i think like this one it's it, uh, it's not as just because the race is smaller it's like not as big a deal it's it's like exciting that she won obviously but it's more just like okay yeah i expected to see that like uh, um i felt like jaco alula for stage two they got really lucky that they kind of surfed off of the work done by fdj to bring spratty back like you had FDJ doing and Los Adahis, who's just like such a great signing for them. Um, I think that they went out on a limb adding her to the team, uh, given that she has limited experience at that level on the road, but she's a super strong rider. So, and she's already proven that her signing for them was was a great call because they've lost Brody. They've lost like their number one domestique to Trek. And she did so much work to bring that back. I mean, Grace had such a strong team with her on that stage to be able to bring Spratty back. And F EF Education First, Tipco, Silicon Valley Bank, like they really gambled with fire, kind of um 
doing the least amount of work that they could have done while still being at the front and still being present, but but kind of not really doing all that much work to bring Sprat back. But Jayco Lula wasn't there at all. They were they were just chilling, just like hanging out at the back of that group, just waiting. And they took advantage of that of that GC fight to be fresh for the sprint. And I think that was really a smart move on their part because like FDJ is playing the long game and, and it paid off for them obviously on stage three, but they did all the work to bring Spratty back. Imagine Jake had come away from this race without anything that would have been embarrassing. It would be embarrassing, but you know, what's more embarrassing their kit. So you don't like it. Mm. I mean, it just looks like it was some, like somebody made it in like Microsoft Paint. It's not stylish. It's not write, stylish. Write that down for the kit review, please. <laughs> but yeah, Wait, I derailed that. Then they Back they were kind of like, I don't know. I feel like Jacob were kind of in the opposite position from Trek in that they had like loads of sprinters that they could have gone for, but not really an obvious GC rider. It's obviously. When we look at how stage three panned out, it seemed like they were maybe going for Ruby for the GC, but they didn't have someone that was like, oh yeah, they're clearly here for GC. So they could kind of just like wait and see what happened. Whereas, yeah, Trek were all in for the for the GC. And I think maybe, um, I don't know, maybe there was an assumption that FDJ were like actually interested in sprinting with Caponi, but I think uh, Grace Brown for the overall was there. But like real. at that point, why... At that point, it's, like, even more confusing because if you look at, like, the way that the bonus seconds played out, say say they had Ruby Rose McGannon going for the sprint on stage one, and then she ended up quite well in the GC at the end, her bonus seconds on stage one could have won them the overall. They did not have to be resigned to fighting for stage wins only. They f- they fucked up the, the first stage, and that ruined the general classification, any general cl- classification host for them. And they came away from the race, I think, being quite disappointed in the end, like with only one stage win. But they did that to themselves because why were they not sprinting for Ruby in the beginning? They had the, they ha- had the horsepower to be able to lead her out and win her that stage on stage one then she obviously could back that up on stage two even if they were still sprinting for manly she still would have ended up you know up there she still could have she still got one bonus second or no she rewind she still like could have it could have been a fight for bonus seconds in the end like this race has come down too many times or when ruth won but like they just, they did not, they easily could have done that and they didn't. So it's kind of, ah. I think they recognized that as well. Didn't, Tilda, didn't you tell to me yesterday that Ruby Rose Gannon put out a caption on Instagram or something to say that it was bittersweet, did she say? Yeah, she was saying in, in, in Cycling News that they were oh, disappointed sorry, right. and... And yeah, because I felt because I said something about you know they they probably wanted more, which was maybe a bit harsh because they came away with fourth and a stage win, but it's like no, like they could have come away with a lot more. And I think it almost seemed like they were just approaching it too much, like stage by stage, looking at the three individual stages and saying, okay, Georgia can go for this, Alex can go for this, and Ruby can go for this. Whereas like it's a stage race, you need to look at the overall picture, and if that involves not letting 
Georgie, Georgia Baker and Alex Manley like have their own go on stage one and two, but you come away with a good overall result for Ruby Rose McCann. And then like, that's the point of a stage race to do well overall, I think. I don't know. You, I mean, you can, as it depends on what kind of your team composition, right? Because not every team goes into a stage race chasing the GC. But I think that's what that was their problem is that they couldn't decide where they're going for GC mm. or where they're going for stages and then they didn't do either really but they can't fight for gcs later on in the season the they don't have a team to fight for gcs at at stage races later on in the season this was their shot yeah so it's really confusing about what they were trying to do and i think for that team especially given that they are in a kind of weird place in the history of that team like they're rebuilding a lot of what they've lost they lost georgia williams who had an incredible ride at this race ended up second on stage two and is is like a very very exciting prospect for ef and they lost amanda spratt their number one rider you know for many many years and well i guess number two behind on but like it's Amanda Spratt. They lost Amanda Spratt. So they're in this weird place where they need to rebuild and they need to prove that they are still a top tier team and making decisions like they did on stage one that affected their overall in the end is like a rookie mistake for a world tour team that's been around for a really long time and won the Giro before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Disappoint, color me disappointed in their decisions. But it's not even this thing. It's like, is it? It doesn't even feel like a world tour race. It's like all round. No. Like the fact that there's only six teams. Like that's kind of just a pass, isn't it? It's just feel like oh, it's, it might as well be a two point one. Well, you know what's exciting about it being like that we haven't even mentioned yet is that there was like three hours of live coverage every day almost. May. <laughs> so true we don't even have to like at this we're at a point in women's cycling where we actually like didn't even feel the need to mention it which is really cool yeah and i think i, but I think I another reason for that is it we we couldn't watch it live unless yeah. we were nocturnal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so. but for three hours every morning i i was watching a, a bike race in the mornings like oh, did you watch I, I, yeah i didn't go on social media for three hours first thing in the morning which is actually quite nice um except tom's ruined it for me one day but like yeah didn't go on social media for the first like three hours of the day and watch the race it was super i, I felt like i was watching it live it was really awesome love that for you <laughs> we should have done that we should have done that yeah well you can do it for cadell's you know it's only one day it's I keep forgetting that's on. <laughs> oh, mate. Stage three, the final stage of this short and possibly not even sweet race. What happened, Tilda? Yes. So stage three, corkscrew day. We actually have a little bit of a climb, um, which in this race is, well, in the women's race was like the queen stage, big climb in the men's race is not that, but that's fine. Um, it was 93k, starting just outside Adelaide and finishing in Campbelltown. And the Corkscrew Road climb kind of the, it peaked out about 7.5k from the finish line. So then it was like a descent and a flat run into the line in Campbelltown. Um, 
There was an early breakaway, which was started by Gina Ricardo again, who had a good race for Bridge Lane, and Georgia Danford, and then they were joined by Lucinda Stewart. Um, they were joined by Lucinda Stewart. <laughs> Said that wrong. They had about two and a half minutes for a lot of a lot of the stage, um, and then going towards the last thirty k. I mean, this is another thing with how short the stages were that like it's that sounds like they were out for ages, but they're only out for about fifty k, so it's not that bad. Um. So going towards the last 30k and towards the climb, Jaco and Trek really started chasing again. Um, Georgia Danford was dropped first, and then a crash from Stewart took her out of the front group. So it was Gina Ricardo pushing on alone, um, but she was caught with 15k to go. Towards the bottom of the climb, Trek Segafredo were winding up again with Loretta Hansen and Brody Chapman putting in massive efforts. Um, I've written here no playing games just hammering it which is kind of although there was something that I did not analyze closely enough about an FTJ rider letting the wheel go and someone having to close the gap maybe we can talk about that in a minute Um, so yeah they were clearly going for Amanda Spratt once again and she attacked a little bit further out this time about 1.5k from the top and no one could really follow her on the wheel Um, the only person who stayed close-ish was Grace Brown um, but she was 20 seconds back when they crossed the top of the climb um, but Grace again these notes are ridiculous I've written Grace went crazy mode on the descent <laughs> um, <laughs> to close the gap uh, she really kind of threw everything at that descent I mean it was the last last UK of the last stage what are you gonna do um, and she caught Amanda Spratt in the last kilometer Um. Sprat had obviously been sprinting quite well on the first couple of stages, but I think in a head-to-head like that, we always expected it to be Grace's, I would say. Um, and Grace Brown always already had bonus seconds on Amanda Sprat that she picked up in the earlier stages, so she was kind of already in the better position for the overall anyway. Um, but in the end, yeah, she took the stage and the overall. Um, and then the next group of eight riders came in 13 seconds behind them, led home by Georgia Williams, who took third overall, um ruby roseman gannon took fourth and then we had two new zealanders henrietta christie and ella wiley battling out for the young uh young riders jersey which went to christie based on counting back on the line i believe so that was an exciting little battle um so yeah grace brown has finally won the tour down under it's kind of been something she's been chasing for a little while yeah i think she is maybe a little bit her winning got overshadowed a bit by the fact that like rightfully so everyone is very 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 excited to see spratty back on good form um but like but grace was the strongest the strongest person at the race she and 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 obviously this is a race like as an australian this is a race that she would have wanted to win for a really long time and having been on mitchells and scott with spratty in the past when Spratty was winning this race, it was it, it was not in the cards for her. But FDJ did a great job of sending a team worthy of winning this race to the race to be able to back her up, and it's it's awesome that she won. And I think it was really cool to see how excited Spratty was for her at the end, and and how happy they were for each other. Like I feel like that's an Australian thing, that like when. Alexandra Manley won it was George uh Georgia Williams I mean she's a Kiwi but like they were teammates for a really long 
they were keep, they were teammates for a really long time. So like Georgia was just as excited as like Alexander crossing the line for stage two. And I feel like that's that's such an awesome uh mentality that you get with Australians that it was really cool to see like how excited Spratty was for Grace at the end. But at the end of the day, Grace was really impressive. And and I think I don't think any of them are on top form. I think this was like a very uh, soft launch form-wise opening to the season, but it means that it's what's coming down the road for us in terms of world tour racing is really exciting. Yeah, and I think your point about um, everyone being excited about um, Sprout is a good one, where it's like, yeah, she did do really well, but also, like you said, like it, it's not the hardest race ever, and um, I think she's got a lot more to give, and I'm really excited to see her on you know the longer tougher climbs because yeah even if you're the best climber in that scenario you don't like grace round doesn't need to be an anamique level climber to match sprat on a shorter climb like that um so yeah i i think it's it's like good showing but it's not like wow this is amanda sprat back to her very best because ideally we want to see her on some harder terrain to really see what makes her a really really good rider and like a better climber than Georgia Williams and Grace Brown and everyone like that. I was really impressed with the way that Grace Brown played it and getting those bonus seconds early on in the race. Um, and I was really impressed with the sprinting. Like I know I don't know why in my head. Like I know she used to get like called or like branded as a bit of a sprinter like before now and that. But like I still don't really like think of her that way or like think of her as having like a super fast like. What I'm trying to say is I don't view her in the same category as like maybe Alex Manley when it comes to like sprinting, but she was out sprinting her for the bonus seconds on stage one. Um, And I mean, in the end, she didn't need them, but like I just thought it was good tactics from her and from that team that she went for those early on and gave herself that buffer. Yeah, I guess she kind of knows from the women's tour as well where that kind of came back to bite her. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so true. I was going to say, like, you can't... If she can't out-sprint Elisa Langeborghini, and I mean, she wasn't wasn't there to try. So it's... But that was a a moment. (laughs) Uh, Did you guys see the Elisa versus Elisa video yesterday? Because it was really funny. I did. I did. (laughs) Oh my God. I love them both. They're great. Amazing. Well, okay, neither of those riders were at this race, so back to <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I actually can't wait to to see them start racing. Um, really impressed with um, with Ella Wiley, who is going to ride for Life Plus, oh my God, Life Plus Wahoo. Is that mm-hmm. the new name? Formal, the artist formerly known as Nicole <laughs> Wahoo. Which LaCole was like, we're not the problem. We're not the problem. It's like, well, now we know. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, that was a a fun little sub-narrative going on, the little young riders, and um, good to see the Kiwis getting involved. Um, yeah, that is one thing I like about these kind of uh, less stacked races is that riders like that do get to um, have a bit of a go. They're not totally overshadowed by the huge names. Um, Yeah, one thing I wanted to say was, what do we think about the length of the stages? Obviously, they were pretty short, but... 
They were short, but I feel like that's this race is kind of like looking. I was about to get outraged, then I looked at the length of the men's stages, and they're also quite short for men's races too. Um, so I don't know if it's just got to do with like the logistics in the area or or what, but. I didn't really have any thoughts on the length of the stages. I was really excited to see that the stages were actually in Adelaide because when I did the race, we had to drive like way, way out of town to race. But the Adelaide Hills are just phenomenal for bike riding. And we were like, we had a week in between or like 10 days in between Tour Down Under and Cadell's. And so we spent a week 10 days riding around the Adelaide Hills and the men were racing around the Adelaide Hills but like the women had to drive two hours to where we raced and it was super it was super shitty because you were riding like I, I rode corkscrew and I was like this climb is awesome why could we not have raced up this so I was really excited to see that they actually like had the races in Adelaide for the women because that was not a thing when I did the race. And I think that they plan to build on this race in the future. So I'm excited to see how they do that. And I think like one of the biggest things for them will be trying to attract more world tour talent to come down and do the race. And I, I hope that it works because I'm, it, it has so much potential this race. And I think they put together some exciting courses like, had they ended it on top of corkscrew it obviously spratty would have just walked away with it but they made courses that would have lended would have leaned towards more aggressive style racing and the only thing that didn't work in their favor was that they just didn't have the talent to be able to make those races more exciting so i i yeah, I, I don't I don't mind that the races were super short, to be honest. I think it was like women's races are tend to be on the shorter side. I feel like we've been spoiled a little bit by getting these like super long races in the last two years. But it used to be like this was the norm. I think shorter races across the sport generally lend themselves to more exciting racing. So yeah, I don't think it's necessarily an issue. I think given the stature of the Peloton as a whole as well, like it was probably fitting. I think if it was a full-on world tour yeah. race with all 15 teams, we might have seen like... We just need like 20 more kilometers <laughs> tacked on. It meant, And it meant that smaller teams and, and, you know, less experienced riders could be involved a bit more easily because it's not such a slog. But also... The UCI do have rules about this kind of thing. And I think, are we, should we have the rules and not implement them or what? Like The minimum distance. Yeah. And the minimum average distance as well, which mm. is like 120k or something. And we didn't even reach out on any of the stages. Like, I'm not against the short stage. And I think especially like in the summertime and stuff like that, like you're probably better off doing 90k than 150k for no reason. But then it's like, why do we have rules about the world tour that we don't follow? But I am a sickle like, for the rules. That's a that's our whole kind of word. Yeah, that's like a, why do we have any? Why does UCI exist? <laughs> why why yeah. is the UCI? Why? But yeah. But yeah, I, I do hope that it will grow and I and I think maybe with like the advent of, of racing in February for women, like with the UAE tour, that, that will that will change that. And as teams get a bit bigger and the whole the whole sport gets bigger, like um teams will have other like they'll have more options because you know 
there's no one racing the men's race that's like aiming at the Tour de France because that would be mad. Whereas there's there's not enough riders in the women's peloton to have like second, you know, to have a whole another team and lots of riders are off still doing training camp or still doing cyclocross and stuff like that. So teams just don't have like the resource that the men's team do. I mean, the teams are half the size, right? They're 15 versus 30. So that's, so yeah, I think maybe as this kind of part of the calendar grows. And also if you think when you add in Cadell's and also the Herald Sun tour, which we hope will be back, then it makes it a bit more of a worthy block that you might do before you go to UAE or something like that. Whereas at the moment it's like, our SD work is going to send a team to do three days of racing when they're not racing again for like ages. It's like, well, maybe not. But yeah, I think they'll grow. It's interesting to know whether it's like related to that and like the resourcing in terms of like people or whether it's the financial thing, because obviously we we saw from Wills last year, like how like restricting it is to get down to Australia for some some people, some teams, whatever. But the organisers, I think, do pay for the travel. At least I know that they do for the men. So if they've offered that to the women's teams as well, I'd be really interested to know, like, if the, it must, that can be the only reason why they would turn it down. It's like just to do with, not not wanting to spread themselves too thin or have the the staff and the riders when they've all said yeah running training camps and things but I don't know side note if they didn't offer the travel to the women that's pretty shit no I'm pretty sure they didn't I think that what I heard was that they they weren't able to offer help traveling for the women but that's a goal in the future yeah but it's funny because although this is a race that has been around for a while it does feel like this is the start of like a new era for them it's the world tour they're like starting afresh not afresh but starting with renewed enthusiasm a new team on board looking towards the future and how they're going to grow the race um so it's not like i'm not going to sit here and be like well you've been around for years and you haven't expanded or whatever because it's like no like this is the point at which they now look towards the future. And having Carly Taylor and uh, Nettie Edmondson on as like behind the scenes, those are two former professionals that are going to be really invested in making this race worthy of a world tour status. And I think that maybe we were a little disappointed this year, but that's just because we've grown accustomed to a certain level of racing when the world tour label is attached to a race and it's not like every world tour race has earned that right like if you think of like ride london yeah ride london what the f and like vuelta burgos or was it it zulia that that demi volering won every stage it's it's like yeah there's races in europe also that we are like why 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 are you world tour but this race, I feel like, has the heart behind it to get to a level that we will be uh, less critical of them being world tour status. Like, overall, I was impressed with the race. Overall, I was excited about the race. And I came out of stage three wanting more. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, it's not like Pride London where I was like, can this just be over already it's so bad <laughs> where it's almost like I, I think that's the thing is that it's not the disappointment doesn't come from what we saw was not good but it's almost like it it left you wanting more which is not necessarily a bad thing because that can be changed 
Whereas if you're getting through a race, you're like, oh my god, this is terrible. Like this is ridiculous. But yeah, it's it's like it's like the potential is there, and almost the disappointment was that there was so much potential that we didn't see. But in the long term, that is probably a good place to be at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can sort of you can see the potential for it. It's not a race where you're like total shambles, hated it, don't come back, like Ride London. Mm-hmm. It's like this was yeah we we wanted a bit more but we can see how it can give us more in the future and hopefully it will so I think that's a good place to be okay did we talk about um Trek and like Brody and all that do we want to do that? no but I do want to say that I'm so excited about Brody and Spratty being on Trek I think they are filling a massive gap in Trek's roster when it comes to climbing talent and and Trek is in this like weird spot where they lost Ruth Winder when she retired and they obviously didn't have Lizzie last year. So they really leaned on Aliza, the Aliza, Aliza duo, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure for uh, the Aliza, Aliza duo. And, and I think that they handled it really well, but adding a little bit more talent in is going to be a really good thing for that team. They potentially, were not uh, as impressive in 2022 as they were in 2021. But having added, I think they're going to give Brody a, a lot more freedom than she got on FDJ. That is something that, that we've all wanted to see. And they gave her, they gave her some for the nationals and like, look, she's in the green and gold. So it's just really, really exciting to see both of them ride for a team that is as excited about them being on the team as they are about being on the team. And I think that that could infuse like Spratty, who's at this point a seasoned professional with a bit more enthusiasm about her comeback. And so that's really exciting to see. But I also think that their addition to the team has has had a positive impact on other riders within the team. I mean, look at Loretta. Loretta's like on a whole new level at the moment. I'm she's she was so impressive for this race and nationals and I'm so excited to see how she develops over throughout the year because she's been on track since it started, but she's always kind of been working at the beginning of the races and and have uh, has kind of maybe been an invisible rider on the team and I'm so excited about the future for Trek and I just think we're going to look back on on the pickup on the signings of these two Australians as like a turning point for Trek to become the best team in the world because SC Works in theory still has that title but I don't think they're going to have it much longer the way that FDJ and Trek are going Mm. yeah I mean, doesn't it just feel like Brody's been on track forever already? Like it feels right. <laughs> yeah, I think there was there was some magic in the fact that their debut is in Australia and all of this. Like it just feels right. And like you say, like being on the team with Loretta being there as well. Like it doesn't feel like they've like come to Europe and having to be like shoehorned into the team around Elisa and the other Elisa. Like it feels like this is like they're starting off at the core of the team at home literally and metaphorically and I think that's a really 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 good place to start and if you can have that kind of like gelling straight away then that only bodes well for for the rest of the season which Eliza is Eliza and which Eliza is other Eliza (laughs) (laughs) 
Which is funny because like Aliza Balsamo was the was like the world champ last year, but it's still like Aliza Longoborghini's been a, around a lot longer, so she's she defaults to yeah defaults to Aliza and then other Alizas, other Aliza. Regardless of her like absolutely ridiculous list of wins at this point in her career. <laughs> yeah, I do see what you're saying there, Abby, about Trek because I think I was actually quite surprised that like in my head they kind of are like the team like sd works have kind of lost their edge a little bit in the last few years when it comes to that somehow he'll just pull in a face but like they obviously are like an amazing team and they've got so much talent but i think last season i don't know i think it's just good to see it spread out a lot more because they were just like so dominant so they haven't lost their edge they're just no longer like the dominant team Mm -hmm. um by head and shoulders so and I think, yeah, Trek of with Lizzie coming back, with Brody and Spratty, like all I think they're gonna be they're gonna be good this year. Mm-hmm. So anything else to say about the tour down under, mate? Don't laugh at me. No, but just can we have some more of that accent, please? Um can you do that on the Cadells next time we speak as well? Thanks. Okay, I'll practice. I'll get practice in. It might come out a little bit kiwi, but I'll try. But what's the difference, really? Just mumble. Just no. Just do the Australian. Ac- do the accent, but just mumble, and then you've got the kiwi down. And then pronounce like bed and head. Dick. That's deck for anybody. Listening. <laughs> um. Anyway, that is a tangent. So, yeah. When is Cadell's? Cadell's is. Two weeks from... 18th, uh, 28th, sorry, yeah. 28th. And um, Abby, since you're here, you got anything to plug, anything to talk about? What are you doing? I do, actually. Yeah, um, so for a while now, Ian Trelor, Matt Deneef, and I have been chatting music just internally, and we've we've made a couple Taylor Swift podcasts uh, on the DL, and we we... We love music. We decided to start a podcast. Uh, we all three of us have a sad amount of spare time, so we started a music podcast. That is basically it's a book club, but for for albums. So one of us picks an album. We go away for two weeks. We listen to the album. We come back and we chat about it, and then we put it out on the internet. And uh, that has dropped well today. So it's called the Album Files. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found, except Apple but i'm working on that um (laughs) kind of a big one um but yeah the the album files um check it out have a listen we don't talk about bikes there's no bikes involved um that's what i'm working on exciting yeah but i'm also i'm super grateful you guys uh invited me on and sorry if i talk too much i i got i'm i haven't talked about bike racing in a while i got overly excited you did not talk too much there's no such thing when it comes to i think you the, the listeners racing. will be saying me and amy talk too much we should have just let you talk <laughs> no <that's laughs> like why wasn't abby hosting this they come for, they come for you guys i'm just i'm just a bonus this week and what a bonus as well though <laughs> so nice thanks for coming on it just feels like we've all kind of filled a little freewheeling hole here so yeah thank you Abby, for coming on it's been lovely hearing your dulcet tones again um and 
if you enjoyed this podcast then you might enjoy our newsletter if you don't already the instead of reading out <laughs> the url today i'm gonna just say links in the show notes if you want to subscribe to that and we'll be back next week thanks for listening bye bye